the course. We are dead. We are all dead. We were supposed to make the world a better place. What happened? I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore. I know kung fu. You either die a hero, or you live long enough to see yourself become the villain. I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore. This whole thing is insane. This whole thing is insane. 300 years ago, you'd have been burned at the stake. What do all men of power want? More power. This is now the United States of Zombieland. This whole thing is insane. Man is evil, capable of nothing but destruction. Everybody is stuck with the things that they're not proud of. More power. Welcome to the desert of the real. More power. There can be only one. Are you a God-fearing man, Senator? You're such a strange phrase. I've always thought of God as a teacher, as a bringer of light, wisdom, and understanding. You see, I think what you really are afraid of is me. Happy Heresies and welcome to the Desert of the Real. Heresy shouldn't be this much fun, but as you know, it is. It just is. Especially with the latest AB Live. Audio version for the In This Eternal Now and In This Red Pill Cafeteria. We explore an overlooked esoteric giant, an individual considered a main modern pagan Gnostic, an advocate of the concept of Chthonic Gnosis. That is the German philosopher and psychologist Ludwig Kleges. Beyond his breathtaking Gnostic metaphysics, we'll find how Kleges' work interacts and overlaps with Jung and Nietzsche and why his views have been erroneously connected to National Socialism. For this odyssey, we have the pleasure of being joined at the Virtual Alexandria by Dr. Paul Bishop, author of Ludwig Kleges and the Philosophy of Life. And yes, keep in mind that by popular demand, and it's actually selling really well, Astronosis Meet the Archons is now available to stream in both audio and video. So dive into the world of Gnostic and Hermetic thought. Experience the replay with exclusive access to hours of captivating presentations and discussions. Immerse yourself in the magic of Astronosis 2 at the Theosophical Society. More than 12 hours of mind-blowing insights from renowned scholars and visionaries, covering everything from the historical origin of the Archons to psychological interpretations and rituals for individual liberation. Check out the show notes for access to a once-in-a-life opportunity. And just as cool, if you join the Virtual Alexandria Academy, you will get the entire Meet the Archons replay at no extra cost. Doesn't get better than that. Other than that, let us to our latest AB Live. Write your own gospel, live your own myth. Greed has poisoned men's souls, has barricaded the world with hate, as goose stepped us into misery and bloodshed. 
We have developed speed, but we have shut ourselves in. Machinery that gives abundance has left us in want. Our knowledge has made us cynical, our cleverness hard and unkind. We think too much and feel too little. More than machinery, we need humanity. More than cleverness, we need kindness and gentleness. Without these qualities, life will be violent and all will be lost. The aeroplane and the radio have brought us closer together. The very nature of these inventions cries out for the goodness in men, cries out for universal brotherhood, for the unity of us all. Even now, my voice is reaching millions throughout the world, millions of despairing men, women, and children, victims of a system that makes men torture and imprison innocent people. To those who can hear me, I say, do not despair. The misery that is now upon us is but the passing of greed, the bitterness of men who fear the way of human progress. The hate of men will pass and dictators die, and the power they took from the people will return to the people. And so long as men die, liberty will never perish. Soldiers, don't give yourselves to brutes. Men who despise you, enslave you, who regiment your lives, tell you what to do, what to think, and what to feel, who drill you, diet you, treat you like cattle, use you as cannon fodder. Don't give yourselves to these unnatural men, machine men with machine minds and machine hearts. You are not machines. You are not cattle. You are men. You have the love of humanity in your hearts. You don't hate. Only the unloved hate, the unloved and the unnatural. Soldiers, don't fight for slavery. Fight for liberty. In the 17th chapter of St. Luke, it is written, the kingdom of God is within man, not one man nor a group of men, but in all men, in you. You, the people, have the power. The power to create machines, the power to create happiness. You, the people, have the power to make this life free and beautiful, to make this life a wonderful adventure. Then in the name of democracy, let us use that power. Let us all unite. Let us fight for a new world, a decent world that will give men a chance to work, that will give youth a future and old age a security. By the promise of these things, brutes have risen to power, but they lie. They do not fulfill that promise. They never will. Dictators free themselves, but they enslave the people. Now let us fight to fulfill that promise. Let us fight to free the world, to do away with national barriers, to do away with greed, with hate and intolerance. Let us fight for a world of reason. A world where science and progress will lead to all men's happiness. Soldiers, in the name of democracy, let us all unite! Welcome, everybody, to Aeon Byte, and welcome to AB Live. My name is Miguel Connor, and I am your pompous of Gnosis. And we still live in a world where men have nipples and other confounding questions, but that's what... We do here is try to understand the realm of the demiurge and try to untangle the his, uh, his riddles in this labyrinth. As Philip K. Dick said, the labyrinth is always shifting. Glad to see everybody here on this Friday in the getting close to these uh, dog days of summer. I know the heat has affected, has finally come in full force to northern Illinois. You can see in the background, my cats are not leaving the house today with this heat, so they'll be sleeping along with the dogs. But we have an exciting show and uh, an individual that has been overlooked as a modern Gnostic sage, and that is uh, Ludwig Kleges. For this, we have the honor and pleasure of being joined by Paul Bishop. Paul, thank you very much for coming on the show. Well, thank you very much, Miguel, and uh, it's uh, it's an honor and a delight for me too. 
No, pleasure is all ours. And uh, yeah, very excited to share about this. As some, as some of you are seeing right now, uh, Vance is not with us. He had a uh, personal issue he had to take care of. So uh, it'll just be me. If you have any questions in the chat room as people show up, please uh, please uh, do the super chat so I can get, get to them as I'll be... Uh, handling this interview alone. So before we get started, uh, Paul, tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do. Ah, well, what, that's a very good question. Uh, well, well, I teach German. Um, uh, that's, that's how I earn my living. And uh, I've been at the University of Glasgow for uh, probably too many years. Um, but but Glasgow's a great city. Um, uh, Scotland's a great country. Um, and uh, one of the things I've been interested in is to is to try and uncover some of these neglected thinkers, um, neglected in the in the academy. Jung being one, Klagers being uh, the focus of us, uh, our discussion tonight, uh, being another one. Um, and I'm a mission to try and get people interested in Klagers because. There are lots of problems with him, and I'm sure they'll come out in our discussion, but I'm convinced he's an important voice. And I think he's also one that will appeal to anybody who's interested in Gnosticism, because there are definite Gnostic flavors in what Clarges is doing. Oh, I would agree. I, I, I did read your book, and I found it fascinating. I almost felt shame on me for missing him out. Why do you think he's uh, been so overlooked, even though, as you write and others have said in Germany, he's one of the, the giants, but outside of Germany, he doesn't get the press of uh, some of the other figures? Yeah, well, um, I, I think it's fair to say he was one of the giants. Um, uh, he was a, a, a tremendously popular uh, speaker, um, 20s, 30s, 40s, um, and carrying on then again into the in, into the 50s. Um, he was one of the people who um, he wasn't an academic. He was academically trained, but um, uh, he, he did what people, I suppose it was an early precursor of what you were doing on, on Aeon Byte, which is bringing knowledge to the people. And, and, and he would do it. He would go on train journeys and um, he found a good way of traveling third class with some comfort by bringing his own cushion. He'd get out there with his really quite technical philosophical stuff. You might compare him, I think, to someone like Rudolf Steiner, again, who you know, would would address the working men at the end of the day in, in, in this club. Almost almost impossible for us to imagine now people doing that rather than switching on the telly or going down the pub. Um, but Cargus's reputation, I think, has 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 suffered for a number of reasons. He's he's in, in my view uh, misportrayed as being as being a right wing thinker. There are certainly some problematic statements that we can find, um, but I guess that's true of all thinkers. Um, at the overwhelming substance, I would say. Uh, is is um, it is of perennial significance to us. Um, one of the reasons why he hasn't made it out beyond uh, beyond Germany is because very little of his work has been translated. Um, some bits and pieces have have come out, and one of the things I wanted to do in the uh, in, in the toolkit uh, which I put together on Klagers was to choose some of the greatest hits of his his passages and sh share them and translate them. But he's jolly difficult to translate. He he is a really difficult German writer. That syntax, that that the grammar, he is hugely demanding. And of course, that makes it very easy for people to say, "Oh, this guy, he's too difficult. This guy is too much of a contrarian. This guy is too much of a gnostic." And uh, we're not going to have anything to do with him. And so he's kind of being cast uh, out to the uh, to the outer fringes of the academic universe. 
Interesting. Uh, could you give us a, a an overview of his life when he was born and uh, what was his Clark Kent personality before he went into philosophy and all that? Yeah, sure. Yeah. Well, he's he born in uh, in Hanover in uh, in eighteen seventy two, um, and he he goes to the local uh, gymnasium. Uh, he uh, then goes on to uh, study chemistry in in Munich. Um, and in fact, he's having a very orthodox scientific career. He starts off doing doctoral research. He publishes a thesis, an attempt at the synthesis of menthone in 1901. But then there's a big change of tack. And this change of tack, I think, takes takes three forms. He gets very interested in, in graphology. OK, so science of uh, pseudoscience, I think we'd probably we'd probably be inclined to say today of, of, of handwriting. Um, but there's a key idea here, which is how we express ourselves says something about us. So graphology is, is one kind of aspect of that. More generally, then, uh, what he describes as charakterkunde, characterology. And this isn't simply about putting people into various types, but understanding human difference um, and understanding why it is that, you know, we have conflicts, we have misunderstandings. What is it that makes us characters how can we shape our character and in that respect i think he's fitting into the old german idea of bildung of creating ourselves and then thirdly something very important is that he gets involved with a circle around uh, stefan georga and, and stefan georga is um a very important german poet again he's tempted to be kind of uh, uh, left out of things um, but at the early in the early 20th century in Germany, he is an absolutely crucial figure. Um, and Klagers is in there in this circle of people around uh, around Stefan Georga, uh, has a big falling out. And so what does he do? He goes and sets up his own circle, uh, a kind of counter circle, which is called the the Cosmic Kreis, the Cosmic Circle. Um, and that's that's when they start getting into the into the really weird stuff. Um, so you can see that he's moved a long way from chemistry. At the outbreak of World War One, he he leaves Germany. He's he's uh, not a German nationalist. He he does not like what's happening in the uh, in, in in the First World War, and he moves to Switzerland, good old neutral Switzerland, and that's where he stays and lives as a as a privatgelehrter, as a private scholar, making money through his uh, through his public lectures. Uh, and in 1929 to 32, this is when he works on what he calls his main business, his Hauptgeschäft, his main business, a phrase which he takes from, from Goethe. Uh, and, and this is his mammoth book, Der Geist als Widersacher der Seele. Again, we'll see some of the translation possibilities when we just deal with the title. So we could translate it as the spirit, as the opponent of the soul. Uh, the mind as the contrahent of the psychic. There, there are so many different ways of translating it. We'll, we'll need to come back to these concepts of Geist und Seele, such simple words, complex, as it always is with German, with German things. And it's this book, one and a half thousand pages of it. It's worth learning German in order to, in order to be able to understand him. And, um, and if only we had a translation of this major work, that's another of the things which I think has made it difficult for him to have a positive reception, is that he didn't make it out there into the English-speaking world. Unlike Freud, unlike Jung, unlike other German thinkers, he, he never made it across the pond to America. Yeah, indeed. And uh, let's show, uh, oh, wait, hold on, let me, let's show a little picture of him. Where did he go? Huh. Why is my thing not working? Let's see. 
Uh, for some reason, the picture was working. The archons have struck. They do do that, don't they? Yeah, yeah. Well, people will just have to go check out the Wikipedia's a, a handsome fellow. Uh, certainly back in the day when people just had style and that black and white <laughs> veneer just made everybody look really classy. So awesome. Uh, and, uh, I guess we should probably go to, or before we get, to, before we get to that, Paul, was he raised a, a Protestant Christian or what was his background? Yeah, he was, uh, at, um, it, it, it would have been in a, a Protestant, uh, a Christian background. And I think two things are important about his um, about his, his developmental years. Um, uh, one is that he becomes um, uh, interested in uh, what's pre-Christian. He becomes interested in paganism, um, in, in Heidentum, and this this pagan aspect of his thought. The recovery of paganism, I think, is very uh, is, is very important for him. Uh, and, and he also has to be said has some very weird hallucinatory out of the body kind of experiences he he has visions we could put it we could put it like that so he's he's authentically weird he's in his personal life tapping into that 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 other realm that's uh, that's there and i think that one of the things um which has bedeviled him is the is the the, the accusation of anti-semitism um but i think his his objection is to judeo-christianity I mean, he fits into he fits into in, into that mold, um, and he's not just anti that he's he's pro pagan. I think that that's mm-hmm. the key thing. So it's 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 a positive agenda. It is about recuperating uh, uh, something which um, which has been which has been lost. Um, but of course, the whole concept of the pagan in in Germany in the twenties and thirties and forties becomes, I think one could almost say, you know, uh, contaminated because of the, because of the political context. And I think it's, I think I'll put it like this, Miguel, it's, it's much harder to talk about paganism in German than it is to talk about it in English because mm. of the, because of the political resonances that are, that, that are there. Oh yeah, indeed. Uh, yeah, those were the times. And unfortunately you get dragged in, uh, your name gets through the mud, everybody appropriates everything for their own agenda, uh, and so forth. And he moved, uh, he left World War One because he was what, just anti-war to get out of the heat? Why did he move to Switzerland? Yeah, I think it's um uh I I think it's it's a symbolic decision. It's uh it, it's a political decision. It I mean it's also clearly a personal one as uh, as, as well. Uh, uh but he he um doesn't like this new nationalist job. Again, it's a bit like in the way that um after the Franco-Prussian War, Friedrich Nietzsche uh become very very anti-German in his rhetoric. And again there's one of the strange ironies that, that Nietzsche portrayed as a nationalist, portrayed as a Nazi thinker and so on. Nothing could be further from the uh, further from the truth. But but what Nietzsche sees in the Franco-Prussian War, which is the rise of nationalism, and of course uh, Nietzsche spends a lot of his time going to Switzerland as well, off to Sils Maria, Italy mm. and other places, but you know that th- they want to get away from it's interesting how many German thinkers want to get away from Germany. Um, <laughs> and, and that's certainly true of Nietzsche, and it's certainly true of Klagers as, as well. Yeah. Yes, indeed. Uh, yeah, God, even Jung sometimes gets dragged into as a fascist. You still get those silly articles there. I think a lot of this is just for the clicks, just to uh, for the controversy, because if you could tie somebody into fascism or Nazism, you're going to get eyeballs. But uh, it sort of robs us of... Uh, 
of so much richness and uh, about the thinkers and what they did. Oh no, I no, I absolutely agree with you, Miguel. And um, I, I I think it's a way of of closing down discussion. Um, uh, I, I think uh, you know it's. In cancel culture, you only have to find one footnote, and and um, you know all the problems then are, are there. And, and I think I'd say, I think I'd say with Klagers that it's 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 uh, as again with Nietzsche, it, one's interest in them wouldn't say that one was personally committed to every single sentence that they wrote and defending every single proposition that they make. That is what it's about. Uh, and, and and with Nietzsche, that that provocative style is um, part of trying to shake us out of our lethargy and to get us to think for ourselves. And and in another way, I think that's what Klagers does as well. By being so darn difficult, he's trying to force us to get out of our everyday way of of, of thinking, the very simple messaging uh, that we get uh, that, that we get used to. Um, and it's it's a kind of it's a kind of spiritual exercise to read these to get to read these writers because they're they're trying to shift the way that we think, not that they want to tell us the position to go in, but they're trying to show us the methodology by which we can arrive at our own conclusions. Exactly. Even Nietzsche said, uh, "At the Rainbow Bridge, the state has to be left behind." I mean, he was a pretty, pretty. Uh, there's no room for uh, a- ambiguity. I mean, so these thinkers were about these German thinkers were about the individual. That's what they were working for. Was uh, much more important than the state or saving Germany was saving the individual. Right? Find the individual and who he is in in this cosmos. Uh, yeah, no, that's that, that's absolutely right, and of course that 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 can itself then be interpreted as a as as, as a political move, as an as an exit from the political realm, as a kind of an, an escape into in, into another universe or an escape into into the personal realm and and, and so on. But I guess I suppose I I I'd just appeal to you know uh, what everybody what everybody does. Um, you know, we can't save, we can't as an individual save the, save the world. We have to position ourselves within it the best, the, the best that we can. And, and I think particularly people who go down, uh, who, who go down an, an, an academic route should understand that, you know, what their duty is, is to, is to explain, to transmit knowledge, to open up possibilities for thought, to share ideas and methods, uh, and, um, and energize and animate and animate people. We shouldn't be in the business of telling people what to, uh, telling people what to think. And I think it's the same with, uh, um, with, with, with Klagers that, um, Klagers does have this remarkable view of himself as, you know, he says, I'm the most plundered author in the 20th century. Mm-hmm. Big claim, big claim. That's but, a big claim. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is. But in a way, I can see what he's getting at because, um, you know, psychoanalysis is so very clear, uh, so very close to part of what Klagers is, is doing. Um, existentialism, there's a, there's a very clear case for seeing, uh, Klagers as an existential, uh, thinker. Um, and, and another concept or category that use, that's useful for understanding him would be phenomenology. Um, in other words, understanding the world as a as a phenomenon. I mean, how do, how do we construct the world as a as a world? And uh, it's it's interesting, therefore, to note that um, uh, a thinker like Ernst Cassirer, um, who is um, 
absolutely no no political problems around Anskasir at all. Philosophy of symbolic forms in the um, incompleted fourth volume. There's a big discussion that goes on in those pages with with Klagers. So a thinker, a Jewish thinker, a Jewish philosopher like Anskasir, the, the the writer of the great philosophy of symbolic forms, is able to see something that's worthwhile in Klagers as well. And I think that should encourage us to find something worthwhile in him. And I think it's there if we know how to look for it. Well said. Well, why don't we get to, uh, you might say, the main event, at least for uh, Aeon Byte, and that is, uh, tell us about his uh, Gnostic uh, metaphysics, or as he's been called, uh, a pagan Gnostic, or his ideas yeah. of chthonic gnosis, if you would. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, well, the, uh, the term pagan gnosis, pagan Gnostic, uh, comes from uh, a very good book written by Michel Pauwen, um, uh, the, the, the book's called, I'll give the German title just to spice it up, uh, Duty Rampiker des Untergangs, Gnosticismus in Ästhetik und Philosophie. You can, you can hear the learning in as it comes through in the German there. So it, it's the dithyrambics of decline. That word Untergang is there as in the, the decline of the West with uh, Spengler, another controversial thinker. Mm -hmm. Gnosticism in aesthetics and, and, and philosophy, published in 1994. And anybody who's not German would, it's a really good book. Absolutely, absolute cracker. And it deals with Ludwig Klagers, Ernst Bloch, so uh, the uh, definitely a left-wing thinker um, associated with the Frankfurt School, but um, uh, not not quite a, a Frankfurter, but a, a left-wing um, uh, thinker. Um, uh, Martin Heidegger. Oh dear, there we are, back with the bad boys again. <laughs> and then finally, Theodor Veadorno. So the absolute apogee mm -hmm. of the of, of the Frankfurt School. And I think just the fact that you've got a book which is constellating left and right in this in this way, if we want to use those in use those terms, shows us how much more complex it is than some of the some of the names of Clarkers would uh, would make. And I think the Gnosticism is related to this idea of of aesthetics as giving us the path into that 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 other world, or another way of putting it, using aesthetics to uncover what we find in the reality uh, around us. And, and Powell puts forward the argument, he says, that art is the secret paradigm of Klager's philosophy. That what we're really having here is, uh, um, in all 1,500 pages of, of the spirit is the enemy of the soul, is essentially an aesthetic argument, which is to say that if we understand the world as an aesthetic phenomenon, as Nietzsche said, then we're getting, we're getting close to what it is what it really is. And he, he describes the main maneuver that Klagers makes in his philosophy being that of inversion. Okay. So he's essentially pursuing a, 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 he's looking for structural affinities between the philosophy of Klagers and Gnosticism. And I think, I think that's, that's where we find the link. It's not that he's quoting Gnostic sources. He's not like Jung in that respect. I mean, yeah, you know, right. um, Jung's referring to Gnosticism, you know, left, right and center. Let's start there. We don't find that Gnosticism in that way with Klagers, but we do find it in these structural affinities. And I think the most important of those would be this dualistic metaphysics that he talks about. In other words, this um, polarity between Geist, spirit and life or spirit and soul or spirit and psyche. Th that 
is his main paradigm, and that's where the Gnostic element uh, of it uh, of it lies. Because because seeing the world in these conflictual terms as an organizing principle enables him to have a philosophy of history. It enables him to have an anthropology. It enables him to have an, an epistemology, and the Gnostic element I think lies in this idea of you know uh, that the world is essentially a bad place. It's all gone wrong. How can we put it right? Can we put it right? Or how do we dwell in a world where we can't put it right? And I think that's that's um, that, that's probably where I'd make the third link between Clarkism and Gnosticism would be on this basic model of fall and redemption. And we find that with Marxism too. So it's it's also there's also a sort of Marxist Gnosticism. I think that you'd, you'd find with uh, with Ernst Bloch, and and it's there with Clarkers in this um, polarity as he sees it between the spirit and the and and the soul. So he's offering us a critique of reason, a critique of rationality, but. He's not reveling in, in, in irrationality. Uh, what he's inviting us to do is to go back to the biblical story, the myth of, of, of paradise, and in the most radical way to come to terms with the fact that there is no way back into paradise. Well, dear. Oh, dear. That's pretty Gnostic itself. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the aesthetic makes sense. I mean, there is, a, in fact, I was uh, doing an intro for a show, and there's a quote I love in the Gospel of Philip that says, that truth did not come into the world, it came in type of images. We must find the image and enter through the image, yeah. through this truth that cannot be described, it can only be experienced. And I know artists who use it, and in the east it's pretty normal right they make you make gods in your house you, you know everything's an image and you want to experience that sort of uh sublime uh, feeling behind the image so that's what he's talking about when he's talking about an aesthetic right it's uh, absolutely yeah absolutely absolutely right and um, um, one of the key categories in Clarke's thought is what he calls the the built or the or the orbit so the the primordial image and I think I think here, um, I mean, it's it's not a coincidence. I mean, you've you've mentioned Jung. We should we should remember that um, uh, Jung is on one side of Lake Zurich uh, in Kusnacht. Over the other side of the water, not that very far away in Kilchberg, we've got Ludwig Klages. So 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 the two men are you know they're almost neighbours. <laughs> you can manage. You can imagine them meeting up when they go on Saturday mornings to shop in Migro or some other some other supermarket down there. But but in fact, they there's no sense that they really had any kind of contact at all. But Orbilt is the original term that uh, that, that Jung used for archetype. And I think uh, the idea of an archetypal image, a primordial image. Um, you know, German is such a wonderful language. You get this prefix "ur," you stick it on front of something, and it makes it all very special and ancient and archaic and, and so on. It's, a, it's absolutely brilliant. Anything can have an "ur" in front of it, and the "ur" build is therefore an archaic or primordial image. So it's 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 pre-rational, uh, but it appeals. It's going to have to get through the filters of our reason. It's going to have to get through the filters of our of, of our senses, and it's going to have to be understood. You're absolutely right, Miguel. Understood aesthetically um uh, and and uh, the the orbit that the Klagers talks about uh, they're very different from from the archetypes that Jung proposes 
Um, in the case of Jung, there's there's always a kind of you know happy circus-like element about them. You know, you've got you've got the animal, and the animus, and you've got the child. That's right. You've got the old man, and the old woman, uh, and the trickster, and and there's a lot of fun going on there in that collective unconscious with uh, with Jung. And a little more, a little more sober, and um, uh, how, how should we say, a little more. Um, uh, elusive in the case of in, in the case of Klagers, he tends to talk about things like uh, the moon, uh, or the tree, um, or the river, or water. So again, almost going back to those those substance and those primordial uh, substances that the pre-Socratic thinkers talked about. You know, you think about Thales saying the whole world's made of water, or is it made of Geist, or is it made of and so on. No, it makes sense. And the idea is we can't get back in paradise. What exactly does that mean? Is that uh, that uh, Heidegger thrownness? We're just thrown here mm. and we sort of have to make the best of it? Or what is exactly by, what does he mean by we can't yeah. get back into paradise? Or is he just being like the old man, the best days are over? <laughs> yeah, well, there is um, there is a, there is a kind of what should we say structural pessimism to uh, uh, to all of this. Um, although we might note that that's also there with left wing thinkers, certainly someone like Adorno. Um, I think there's definitely definitely a very sort of you know grumpy and depressed side to Adorno, <laughs> to Adorno as, uh, as 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 well. Um, and and again, translating Adorno is a, a, a big task and a half for anybody who wants to uh, who want who wants to undertake it. Uh, but I think it's to do with the fact, and you know, if anybody wants to follow follow this up, um, uh, one of the few works that's been translated uh, by Klagers is uh, something called the Science of Character. So, Die Grundlagen der Charakterkunde, um, and you can find that uh, uh, floating around the internet, uh, entirely legitimately uh, for free, um, uh, using the 1929 English translation. So, so if you Google Klagers Science of Character. Uh, 1929, translated by W. H. Uh, Johnston. Then, then you'll be able to find um, a pure and, as it were, unadulterated Clarkers. Uh, uh, and at, at one point in this characterology, he turns to what he calls the mosaic paradise myth. So, so in the middle of this study, this psycho- psychological tract, if you like, we have him going back to 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 the myth, the legend of uh, of, of of paradise. Um, and again, it's one of the reasons why I think it's it, it's a, a cheap shot and, and inaccurate to portray him as as essentially anti-Semitic is because here he's going back precisely to the Bible and saying there is something immensely important for us to uh, for us to understand here. And he analyzes the curse of Yahweh um, uh, uh, that uh, we're going to have to work. Okay, that's one of the curses and, and so on, um, uh, and uh, that we're going to have to die. Um, and, and he, he describes, um, in a very Gnostic way, this, uh, portrayal of, of Jehovah, um, uh, in, 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 in the Jewish scriptures, he says, as a demon, as a, as a, as a demon. So he, he's absolutely, I think, in one with the, the Gnostic rereading of this as, um, you know, God is essentially a bad God as he's, uh, as, as he's portrayed in this, uh, in this myth. And what happens, he says, in this whole story about uh, eating apples and trees and and so on? What is the original sin? Where does it all where does it all go wrong? He says it's it's to do with it, it's not simply the eating of the uh, tree of knowledge of good and evil. It it's it's eating the tree of knowledge. It's it's mm-hmm. to do with what he calls the entrance of geist of 
spirit into our into our cosmos, um, where it, it persists as again in a very very gnostic way as a kind of um, a negative uh, negative influence, and uh, this geist this this spirit is what Klager's provocatively identifies as the ego. So you've heard the phrase, the ego is the enemy, that this is exactly the, exactly the argument that Klages is putting forward. And what's the, what's the problem with the ego? Okay, just ish. And, and again, there's all sorts of resonances and, and, and points of competition between Freud talking about the ego and the id, and Klages talking about um, das S and das ish. But what is the problem with the with the ego? Well, I mean, everyday experience, I think, suffices for us to see what the problem with the ego is, because <laughs> why is it a problem, particularly in other people? Um, but to be serious about it, he says the ego is, is rational, is calculating. It is the embodiment, the instantiation of spirit, of geist, of, of intellect, but with negative negative connotations, negative connotations because it is... It is rationalistic. It is it is calculating. It is objectifying, and in this sense, Klagers would say, it is inimical to life. It is it is life destroying. It's destroying. It's destroying the soul. So we have this view of human beings, and I think this this to me is is full of gnostic resonance. Of some 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 evil principle has has entered into the world, has entered into us, and is and is actively frustrating our our more blessed existence, if you like. Makes sense. And and what is uh, Clegg's uh, solution? Is it again like Nietzsche or even the Gnostics enter through the image, create an aesthetic? There's a, another quote by Jung. I say it's come recently a lot into my head where he says, as far as we can discern the whole purpose of existence is yeah. to kindle a light of meaning in the darkness of mere yeah. being. In other words, we are fallen. Maybe there's nothing in the universe, but the good news is as humans, as the Hermeticists used to say, in our little special place, we can bring meaning to the universe. We can bring holiness. We can bring beauty. We can do things that the, uh, gods can't do even and even if they don't exist it doesn't matter we can bring so much to this universe is that a solution or what's the solution to us being trapped down here with the the demiurgic ego <laughs> yeah yeah that's a that that's a that's a very good question miguel and and um that that's a real challenge i think for Klager's. you know um i, I think i put it like this um he, he's a philosopher of pessimism but i don't think he's a philosopher of despair Mm. So, so what are these little chinks um, uh, that we're going to find uh, where uh, th there might be the possibility of a, at least a little flicker, a glimmer of a, a glimmer of light? Um, and I think there are a couple of them. One is, again, going back to this idea of um, of the image of the build, mm -hmm. is that uh, uh, Klagers has this uh, slogan, and 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 for that he's very difficult and technical. He 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 is able to come up with you know a few unique selling points and um, and invent some buzzwords. Um, and one of the big slogans that he has is what he calls the Wirklichkeit der Bilder. Mm -hmm. And here we're up to the uh, we, we've got the trick of the old German language again because Wirklichkeit very hard to translate. It means it means on the one hand reality. Okay, is just virtually is that really so? It means reality, but it also has the sense of wirken to have an effect. So you might translate it as the effectiveness. You might even translate it as as the work 
of the images. So we have the idea of um, uh, the images being that what that's what really matters. Okay? So that's where the, that's where the whole social criticism and the whole criticism of psychoanalysis comes in as well, is because we have to appreciate the reality of the images, the Wirklichkeit der Bilder, which we're going to in, in, intuit in, some would say aesthetic, some would say mystical, maybe it's a kind of amalgam of both. Um, uh, in other words, we're not merely rationally or rationalistically apprehending them, we're intuiting them um, in a far richer and more significant way. And, and and he has a great description of this where he says um, he he says you know you can look at a forest in various ways you know think about a think about a wonderful a, a wonderful green lush forest or or wood and he said you can think about it in various ways you could think about it as a as a botanist would okay well the kind of trees you could categorize the kind of trees make lists of uh, the different species that are there and so on describe the ecosystem so on and so forth. You could also look at it um, as a businessman would and think, gosh, there's a lot of wood. I could chop all that down and um, uh, make a packet uh, setting it and so on. But he also suggests, well, you, you can see the wood um, as as an image, as a build, as something which is transcending its its physicality and acceding to this this other perceptual realm you know in other words you really can see the wood for trees to kind of play on that <laughs> to kind of play on that on, on that phrase but i think he's he's thinking about something like if you look at anything significant it could be a landscape or it could be an object or it could be a person and and this unlocks a whole potential a kind of reality of the heart is in the response which isn't there in something which is purely technical and 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 intellectual and he gives us an example of something where he says, you know, um, if you were living in the country, he says, you can look out of the window every day and think, oh, there's that wood over there. But there might be one occasion when you look out of the window and there's a sunset and the whole of the wood is suffused with this beautiful red uh, colour. And it's an amazing moment. It's an amazing picture. It's an amazing image. And he says, it's that kind of moment, that kind of significant moment when you are apprehending that the reality, the ultimate reality, what matters, what is the reality for you as, as a living, breathing, thinking person is that image. And that image, he says, is never going to recur. And I think what he's trying to do there is, 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 um, you know, one could describe it technically as a kind of, as a kind of phenomenology of the everyday. But what he's saying is, is those mystical, those aesthetic, those intuitive moments that we have where we're, we're absolutely caught up short and, um, and, and, you know, in a way can forget time. You know, we go out of space and time at that moment when we're, when we're there, when we're in the image, when we're in the flow, as we're taught to say these days, that's when something very special has happened. And I think that's why he talks about something which he calls, um, and this is the kind of, you know, other part to answering your question. He has this notion of what he calls specifisches Glück, that is to say, a specific happiness. So, um, you know, the, the, the march, the onward march of Geist, the onward march of the icon, of, of the archons, 
is is, is kind of is kind of unstoppable. But that's not to say that there aren't those moments when we can have what he describes as a specific happiness, and it can either be this kind of intuitive moment that I've been uh, that I've been describing, or or he says it can be taking satisfaction in something that we do, so in something that we write, something that we create, in something that we that we make. I suppose I suppose you might say the satisfaction you make from making a weekly podcast. You say I've done my best to do this, and my satisfaction, my happiness lies in that. Oh, well said. And yeah, great advice. Be in the moment. Uh, awesome. For uh, We've got, again, for those of you who are joining, Paul Bishop discussing the gnosis of Ludwig Kleges. And uh, yes, um, some uh, housekeeping real quick. Yeah, please support this show. Uh, support this Gnostic revolution. Great stuff coming next week. We've got uh, a show on a... Uh, on the culture of victimhood, which is speaking of cancel culture next week, uh, Gordon White is going to join us to uh, discuss the very Gnostic TV show Legion and other Gnostic te television. And then a show on how to restore Freemasonry from the rut. It is with uh, the great uh, scholar Nicholas Laos, who's uh, probably like here baking in Greece. So a lot of great content coming next month in August, the dog days of summer. So please, again, uh, support any way you can. You can leave a tip even here on YouTube or tip via Stripe. And uh, there are many ways to support this show. So let's get back to uh, the main event. Uh, Paul, you also talk about um, Clegg's idea of, oh, my God, I, I, I don't think I can pronounce it. I'll let you do that. Uh, becoming stereotypes. Speaking of modern problems. <laughs> yeah. <And> cancel no, culture. <laughs> yeah. No, absolutely. No, that's absolutely right. And uh, and and, and Clagas has been cancelled. And um, I suppose what I'm trying to do, and, and what I was trying to do in the in the toolkit book was to was to sort of you know resist that and 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 roll that and and roll that back a bit. Um, and of course, one of the things is the um, the fact is, you know, once a thing is out of the system, it's very difficult to get them back in. You know, as an academic, you've got to go around, you know, looking for funding for research and, and so on. And, you know, the argument is always, well, you know, nobody else is working on Clagas, so we're not going to fund it. You say, yeah, but that, because you don't give funding on it, that's why nobody's doing work on Clagas. So there's a kind of circularity there. Um, and, um, you know, just because one wants to get Clagas in doesn't mean that you want to get anybody else out and i think right. that, that there are that there are lots of very interesting ways one can see clagas as as a kind of um anticipator of, uh, of postmodernism um uh, one can see him there's even because of his uh, interest in the uh, theory of matriarchy that uh, back often propounded uh there's certainly room to see a feminist uh, um, approach to clagas as, as well I, I think the gnostic one is um is uh, particularly uh, particularly productive because after all there was this great rediscovery of, of, of Gnosis and Gnosticism in Germany uh, at the beginning of the century. Uh, people like uh, Kurt Rudolf, um, uh, Hans Leisergang. Um, Hans you know, Jonas. Hans Jonas. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. So, you know, that all, all of these guys were really jiving to, uh, to Gnostic ideas. Um, and, you know, why should, why should that take place? Well, because it's an interesting interpretive paradigm and, um, and, and fits a lot of what's... Uh, Fits a lot of what's uh, of what's going on. Um, so to uh, to go back to your uh, to go back to your, your, your question, re remind me of what we were talking stereotyping. about. Stereotyping, his what idea of stereotyping. Stereotyping, yeah. 
Um, the German word that he uses is, is Schablonisierung. Schablonisierung. And I, I suppose one might say it's a bit like becoming a, um, a, a mask. It's becoming standardized. It's becoming uh, mask-like. Um, and he has this um, rather tender moment at the end of um, uh, The Science of Character when he says there's um, this kind of apocalyptic scenario uh, where he says that life itself is going to become the victim of complete exhaustion. Mm. Before it finally succumbs, it may experience a period which might last a long time of the shablonisierung, the standardization. It's impossible not to see that civilized humankind and humankind in general is rapidly approaching that end. And I think that what he's doing there is, is, uh, reacting in a very early way to, um, the prescriptiveness of, uh, of, of society. Um, I think he's absolutely in line with what the Frankfurt School boys say about, you know, the, the, the commodification of culture, um, the way that we are trained through culture to behave in certain ways, um, uh, which, which enable the big corporations to make money out of us and, uh, and, and so on. Um, and that, and that's also there in the, the kind of the language we use, how we, um, uh, take a reductive approach, how we take a simplistic approach, how we take a kind of sloganizing approach and, and so on. All of this that he, all of this that he sees. And he talks about, he says, thus the United States in 1917 went to war against Germany in sincere indignation because the newspapers had told them that Prussia's militarism was rioting in devilish atrocities as it attempted to conquer the world. Of course, these transparent lies were published in the daily rags because the ruling lords of Mammon knew that American intervention in Europe would fatten their coffers. Mm. Now, now. Brilliant. Uh, uh, I agree. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Now, um, the, the rhetoric of the lords of Mammon and, and so on is that is that anti-Jewish? Is that anti-Semitic? I I think I think that is to reduce what Klagers is, is is saying here. We might look at military conflicts in our own in, in our own time and and ask ourselves, you know, uh, what's what are the financial things that are in that are in stake? I, yeah, I a lot of different groups get rich. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> you have to be at the Absolutely. right place, the right social. Yeah, it's not. Yeah. yeah, it's a it's a whole racket. <laughs> exactly, exactly. I think I think so. I I, I think it, it's it's over it's oversimplifying if one if one sees it um, purely in that in that way. But he's making an interesting cultural point. Whereas the Americans thought they were fighting for such high minded slogans as liberty and justice, no. they were actually risking life and limb to stuff the money to stuff the money bags of the big bankers. These free citizens, he says, are in fact mere marionettes. Their freedom is imaginary, and a brief glance at American work methods and leisure time entertainments is enough to prove conclusively that l'homme machine, man as a machine, is not merely imminent, it is already the American reality. Oh, wow. Ahead yeah. of his times, way ahead of his times. I know, I know. Isn't he just? And, and, and that critique, I think, is also um, what one finds later on in the Frankfurt School. I think the Frankfurt School, with, with, with very few adjustments in terms of, in terms of language, would say exactly the same thing, particularly that in, that, um, emphasis not just on work methods, but on leisure time entertainments as being, um, ideologically uh, uh, driven, and and I think here you can see why and, and you know 
making a right-left kind of distinction, I think, doesn't doesn't really help. The point is, is that is that an accurate description of okay? He's talking about American reality. In the meantime, we might say you know Western reality as as well. But it marks him out in my in my mind as as a very perceptive cultural critic because he's already saying this um, in uh, I think it's about 1919 he writes. Wow! Yeah, he's already he sees the writing on the wall. Brilliantly said. And uh, uh, in going back to the idea of the interests of Gnosticism, <coughs> excuse me. It is interesting because for some reason, and you know, like in the 20th century, bringing up Gnosticism was seen as something anti-Jewish, which of course, looking later back, looking forward made no sense because if anybody saw the Jewish scriptures as holy, it was the ancient Gnostics. They were embedded. Uh, they were possibly Hellenistic Jews. But anyway, they saw it. They just simply said, you know, everybody's been fooled. There's a demiurge. There's something darker. There's the universe is ruled. And of course, uh, the Kabbalah agrees with it. But this happened, too, because when Jung wrote his seven sermons to the dead, he got in a lot of hot water, specifically with Martin Buber, Buber, the great Jewish philosopher, uh, because of that. And, he, and of course, he backed up because he didn't want to cause trouble. Oh, it's just a youthful indiscretion. And he sort of put that stuff there and then of course later on this stuff is uh is more acceptable today but it was some sort of polemic and you wonder if it was christians behind this polemic because anything they can do to suppress gnostic i mean i've seen evangelical christians and pastors here in the west in the united states you bring up gnosticism they're like oh it's anti-semite it's like you don't care you just want to suppress this stuff so that's probably it but is has the right or the far right tried to appropriate Clagus in mm. Europe, or how mm. is there sort of what's going on with that? Is there a battle? Mm. Well, yeah, no. Um, come back to the question about about, about these links between between Gnosticism, antisemitism, and and right wing thought, and uh, and so on. Because I think I, th I think you're right. It's a it's, it's a complex and important important issue. Um, I, I think there is an attempt to uh, appropriate Klager's thought for uh, uh, for right wing purposes. Um, uh, there have been a couple of um, anthologies of uh, texts from Klager's that have been published um, by um, Arctos Books, and I think Arctos Books would. Uh, it's perfectly fair to describe them as a as a, a right wing publisher. I mean, you know, that if, if, if you if you see uh, the other uh, thinkers, uh, Alain Benoit and Guillaume Fay, uh, particularly French. Um, right-wing thinkers, uh, the so-called Nouvelle Droite, you know, they're absolutely home in in, in Arctos. Um, now, that's that's not my political view, but um, th the problem that I have is that by a right-wing publisher uh, publishing Klagers is is that that contributes to what I would see as a as as, as a misapprehension. Um, I I just don't think he is right-wing in that. Um, uh, uh, in, in that ideological sense, he has an interest in, and he's, he's conservative. I, mean, I think he's a conservative thinker. But then so many of the right-wing thinkers and the, uh, sorry, the left-wing thinkers in Frankfurt School are equally conservative. I mean, you know, Adorno, you're not going to get Adorno to listen to anything other than after late Beethoven. Okay? <laughs> you know, he's not going to do it. Stravinsky, no, he says. You know, why? Because it's too archaic he hates the ride of spring because it's all of this pagan stuff that's uh, that's rising up to the to the surface and of course now adorno and the frankfurt school make this link between between the pagan 
and the and and and, and the right wing. Um, but I think that's um, that is that is simply too simplistic in the case of a thinker who is as complex as Ludwig Klages. I mean, you know, uh, j- just go and read the science of character. And, and it seems to me uh, you'll see his starting point. You know, it's it's an immensely ambitious work because he's he's essentially trying to produce a kind of alternative of psychoanalysis. He's he's wanting to produce um, an alternative psychology. He's wanting to produce a psychology without the unconscious. Um, I think this is this is really this is really interesting because um, okay, Jung never really made it into the academy i mean some of us keep on trying to to shoehorn him in there but he, he doesn't he doesn't sit easily for ver- for various reasons we don't have to go into here um i would say it's a big missed opportunity because i think i think jung has an awful lot to uh, uh, to to offer to uh, the arts and humanities and the arts and humanities are much poorer uh, for not making use of um, uh, Jung's work. Freud, of course, has a difficult time at the moment um, with the whole gender debate. Um, you know, um, uh, penis envy is not exactly going to be flavour of the month. And, um, and, and Freud, I think, um, has a view of gender which is really going to be very difficult to, uh, to, to modify for the gender debates that are going on at the, at, at the moment. Um, uh, but but Klager's, I think, um, is... is, is by offering us a, a psychology which is not in, in hoc to either the collective or the individual un- unconscious, is producing something really innovative and interesting and that's been um, underrated. Um, so, again, look at the science of character and look at the way that he talks about, uh, he tries to produce a non-psychoanalytic uh, psychology. And I, I just don't seem to simply see that reducing it to, to a particular political position makes, uh, uh, makes sense. Um, but I think your point is that there is um, a connection or there is a perceived connection between Gnosticism and National Socialism and, uh, and so on. And I don't know if anybody's come across, there is a, there is a book by someone called Harold Strom. The book's called Gnosis and National Socialism. So, OK, mm. we, can see, we can see what's going on there and, uh, uh, and, and so on. Um, I, I think rather than simply identifying Gnosis as being something which is structurally anti-Semitic, as one might say, or structurally uh, right-wing, is that he's he's making the point that national social national socialism, the right-wing ideas, can appropriate yeah. this Gnostic stuff very, 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 very easily. But you know, we, we mustn't put the cart before the horse. It, it's the right-wingers are going out and grabbing the Gnostics and making them do their dirty work for them, which they shouldn't be doing, rather than the other way around that the Gnostics are on giving rise to this um, uh, to, to this right-wing culture. And I think it's interesting that, um, that, that Strom, even though he's, he's got this thesis it's published in, in Zorkamp, it is quite a kind of critical book about, uh, about Gnosticism, but that he, he draws attention to the rich ways in which Gnosticism was received in the, in the 20th century. So on the, and, and coming out of that the 19th century, okay, the, the Enlightenment period. So you have on the one hand, the whole academic appropriation, um, which I think he finds in the tradition of German idealism. So again, it's all our favorites, Fichte, Schelling, Hegel are gonna fit into that. The heterodox Hegel, is, um, as somebody's written about him, um, interesting affinities, significant affinities, um, uh, uh, between uh, German idealism and Gnostic thought, uh, then Marxism. Marxism, yes, because there is a theory of fallen redemption. Okay, here in Marx, it's going to be the proletariat who have the redemptive role. 
okay, and um, we're still waiting for that. And existentialism, again, we've mentioned that. Postmodernism, they're going to add phenomenology as well. So there was this whole academic reception of, uh, of Gnostic ideas. And then there is, on the other hand, what he calls sectarian in, in question marks, that is to say the non-academic ones. And he comes up with a very interesting list of, list of names. First of, first of them is uh, Tyler de Chardin, so the, uh, the, oh, the oh. Catholic priest philosopher. Yeah. Um, Jung is then there, of course, uh, he would have to be. Rudolf Steiner, I said it was all the favorites. Um, yeah. Alistair Crowley, uh, Ron L. Hubbard. So he, he, he sees that there is this, um, we might call them sectarian, I think is a kind of unfortunate phrase. You know, they're the kind of special interest appropriations, let's right. put it that way. Rosicrucianism, Freemasonry, Templars, Grail orders, and, and so on. So, so Gnosticism is this great kind of, great kind of un, underpinning. Um, and, and I think that would be the reason that, that one would say that Gnosticism is, is important for someone like me who's interested in the, in, in, in history of ideas is because that essential structural model of fall and redemption underpins, uh, so many of these traditions, those which are academic, those which are non-academic as well. Yeah, well said, and I, I couldn't agree more. There, I, I have no problem people saying that National Socialism or Marxism has Gnostic elements or it's Gnosticism appropriated, but Jung would be the first to say everything casts a shadow, everything can be weaponized. We've seen it done with Christianity, Islam, Judaism, Hinduism. So what do you think? This is the world. The Gnostics would agree with Clegas, yes. We are fallen and we don't want to go to paradise because that's where the demon is. We want to go inward and find our own aesthetic, our own divinity, our own inner artist. So no problem in all of these. But like you said, people want to reduce things to simple, bad, good, cancel, you know, like cavemen. No. Yeah, no, that, that, that's absolutely right. And, and in the case of someone like, like, like Clarkers, whose, whose thought is, is remarkably complex, uh, re remarkably subtle, um, and you know, I, I just invite people who have a critical view of Klagers to to, to go and look at the Geistals Widersache der Seele, to go and look at the one thousand five hundred pages. Is that this is not just some sort of um, you know uh, ill-informed, um, bad-tempered rant, uh, <laughs> but it is, but it is a very carefully worked-out system. It is a critical system. Um, he's 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 critical of you know everybody came before him. They all got it wrong, um, uh, apart from him, Ludwig Klagers. Uh, but that's a common German trope. I mean, you find it exactly the same with Hegel. Is that you know mm -hmm. who's the very pinnacle of German philosophical thought for Hegel? It's the Hegelian system. Okay. So um, that's that that's the way these people I think play the uh, play play the game. Um, and I think. You know, you'd be a brave person if you said, "Well, I've understood everything that uh, the Clagas has has written in his in his system." But I'm just trying to show that there are, you know, it's it, it's worth the effort um, because there are real nuggets that are uh, that are in there. And again, when we look at a thinker, we don't have to, you know, sign up to every single proposition that's made. You know, it's not as if you would read the Nakamadi Library and say, "Oh yeah, oh yeah, agree with that tick, agree with that tick, agree with that tick." That's not that's not the way to approach these to approach these uh, the, these texts. And I think it would be the same with with Klager's is is appreciating the uh, the beauty of the architecture of the argument, and then asking oneself: Is that beauty so compelling that it might possibly be true? Is is the way to approach these texts? No, it makes sense. And even as you say, Klager's was a conservative. He had a very uh, 
eco-friendly view, right? Mother, Gaia, and all that. Uh, no, he he certainly does, um, and I. It'd be no exaggeration, I think, to describe him as 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 kind of one of the founding figures of of of, of modern ecological thought. Um, uh, there's 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 a beautiful little essay that um, appeared in in 1913, um, which is called uh, Mensch und Erde. Mensch und Erde. So the human being, mankind in in kind of old speak, uh, humankind and 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 Earth. Um, I'm glad that you mentioned Gaia because um, you know when he talks about the Earth, he doesn't mean this in a blue and Borden sense. He means it in the sense, in, in the Greta Thunberg sense of the Earth, which is which is uh, crying out and burning at the mm. uh, at the moment. And um, this this essay, 1913, um, highly prescient, warns and draws attention to the the, the destructiveness of Western capitalism. And the way that it uh, exploits the environment, destroys the environment. He lists the species. And of course, this is 1913, you know, a whole hundred years on. How many more species have disappeared? How many more landscapes um, uh, have been um, uh, altered or, or, or destroyed? Um, how many indigenous uh, communities have had their, have had their cultures um, uh, turned upside down and, and, and driven out? So, so I think you can make a very serious case for Clarkers as being a, um, Conservative in some respects, yeah, but but progressive in others, and I think that the, the the ecological one, as reflected in this in this essay, there are also passages in the science of character. If people go and look at that for free on the uh, on the internet, you say where he he, he that there are these sort of bursts of lamentation for what uh, humankind is doing to the environment, and I think that also speaks very 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 um, closely to our ecological conscience today. Yeah, way ahead of his times, that's for sure. The man surely had a vision. And um, as we get to the end, Paul, I know uh, we've talked about these German philosophers who seem to think uh, this is the, uh, we are in the, the worst days and we're devolving as, a, as an empire or as Western civilization. And you have this talk today a lot in circles that the West has finally hit a wall we can't seem to get anything right. Although, of course, then we listen to our parents who said this is the ends of the world. It seems it reminds me of Terence McKenna's idea: Rome falls nine times a day or an hour because the end is always happening. But I guess the question is: When did, for German philosophers, when did they see the decline of the West? Was this something that started in the nineteenth century, or was it something that was? provoked by World War One and World War Two. I mean, even Jung said the real Dark Ages was the 19th century, not because Germany was very powerful, but because the human psyche was just collapsing. You know, he thought there was no symbolic life, there was no spiritual life or artist, and, you know, the West was just, you know, falling into either materialism or this sort of uh, suffocating Protestant Christianity. So the question is, how, yeah, does that, when did the Germans start seeing uh, civilization as ending? <laughs> yeah, very, very, very good question. Uh, but because I think it, 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 it taps into a, a, a certain kind of um, cultural self, self understanding of, uh, of, of, of Germany. I mean, I mean, Germany is a fascinating country, beautiful culture. Um, uh, I'm, 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 you know, 
constantly fascinated by the things one learns about uh, the way that the, the, the Germans see the uh, see the world, and 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 I think that's reflected in the fact that on the one hand there is a very high tech aspect to, uh, to to Germany. Um, okay, slightly different now because they're getting out of nuclear power, and um, you know are they going to make it to um, with e-vehicles and, and, and so on. But, you know, there is the old phrase about um, Bavarians as, as being, you know, um, um, on the one hand, beer drinkers, on the other hand, on the one hand, it's laptops. So laptops and Lederhosen are the two, are the two images that one, that one has. And there is something there of this, you know, industrially leading on the one hand. But... Um, as, as, as a culture, if you go into a German bookshop, you'll see that it's stuffed with things about, about angels, about, about gnosis, um, about, about uh, UFOs, um, uh, about um, uh, alternative medicine um, uh, and, and, and things like that. One, might, one could put it more positively and say that there is a, a culture of concern with the self, concern with the soul that's perhaps um, absent from the uh, from. The, the Anglo-American world in, in, in some ways. And, and I can recall when I was um, spending some time in Frankfurt once going in, there was a lunchtime concert in a, in a church. And um, uh, well, if you had that kind of thing, I've been to it in London and you probably get, you know, two old men and a dog will be there. But, but this church was absolutely packed and and the audience was so attentive. Uh, I mean, it was it was just extraordinary to see the degree of attention that was being, you know, you could you could sense it uh that was there i thought you know that's one of those experiences when you realize okay this country works in a different way from the from the one that i come from and i think part therefore of this um you know it's all going downhill is a is a reaction and a response to industrialization mm. and i think that's that that that's really where it where it kicks in um then you can trace that back to and say well industrialization this comes out of the enlightenment okay um, at the moment, we're celebrating the uh, centenary of Adam Smith, the great, uh, the great economics thinker from, from Glasgow. And of course, Adam Smith is a good example, good reminder of the way that, you know, it, it's in the Enlightenment thought that we get capitalism, whether loathe it or love it, um, and that we get industrialization as the next step, which, of course, Smith himself would not quite have seen. Um, uh, because of uh, because of the time when he was when he was alive, and then you of course some people then push it back further and will say, well, it's to do with Christianity, or it's to do with you know. Eventually, it goes back to the fall from paradise and it's lost in mists of time. It's always been a big problem, uh, in other words. But I think it it um, in its Spenglerian, in its in its Clarkesian, uh, even in its Freudian form, because you know one thing is about the kind of cultural pessimism that you find with Sigmund Freud. I think this this is very much to do with post enlightenment sense of um, how do we orientate ourselves in the world. Nietzsche picks up on that, and in particular, um, industrialization is destructive of local communities. The way that Gemeinschaft community is replaced by Gesellschaft society, to use the sociological terms of Weber and Tony's, um, and, and the sense of you know we're becoming adrift from our roots. And that's where that's where the danger lies in the sense of okay, well, are these my roots or are they your roots? Can we share roots and, and so on? That's really where the whole um, the whole problem to this to this program emerges. Is this an inclusive sense of you know we're all in this together, or is it an exclusive sense of well we're particularly suffering and it's other people who are the who are the fault? And I think there's a kind of structural problem there rather than a a, a specific one that, um, that 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 defines that. 
Um, but as we draw to close, perhaps I could just read you a passage. And it isn't from Clargers, although it's quoted. Sure. And and let's see if we can just sure. you know, listen to and it. It's, also, yeah, it's interesting that uh, the issues they have, we have today. It's that uh, as uh, scholars, uh, agnostic scholars said, the fall into technology. Today it's AI and people are wondering what's our identity? What does it mean to be a human? So the Germans were like, what's happening and what does it mean to be a German? What are our roots and how would the technologies just displace our consciousness, our culture? So interesting, the same issues. What, exactly. And of course, you know, if, 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 if that sounds, um, you know, it, it, what does it mean to be German? Is that a nationalist question? It, it's exactly the same question that Thoreau um, or Emerson would say, what does right. it mean to be American? Okay. What does it mean to be, what does it be American? Um, and, and it's interesting, of course, how the um, uh, transcendentalists, you know, well, the name comes from transcendentalism, were interested in Kant, Fischer, Schelling and Hegel. So it's, it, it's not nationalist in that narrow sense. It's about a, a sharing of culture. Um, and, psyche, and, a collective uh, psyche. Perhaps. A collective psyche. Yeah, no, I think that's a good way, a good way of putting it. Anyway, here's, here's a little passage. Um, and maybe this is a good way of summarizing what Klagers and German culture is about. Whence arises the universal discontent of humankind, but from their inability to make the actual correspond with their ideal, from learning that happiness still evades their grasp, from finding that the wish for comes too late, and that objects fondly desired fail when attained to gladden the heart as distant hope had promised. Fate has exalted the poet above all these ills, as if he were a god. Calmly, from his eminence, he surveys the raging tumult of the passions, contemplates the fate of families and kingdoms, which are tossed in fruitless agitation, marks those inexplicable enigmas of misunderstanding, which a monosyllable would explain, and yet are allowed to occasion unspeakable distress and confusion. In the sad and joyous destiny of every human being, he feels an earnest sympathy, and whilst the man of the world is wasting his days in listless melancholy for some great bereavement or is advancing in glad triumph to meet his happy fate, the susceptible and inspired soul of the poet goes forth like the all-transforming sun from darkness into light, whilst with soft melody he tunes his harp to alternate strains of joy or woe. From the inmost depths of his heart springs up the beauteous flower of wisdom. And whilst other mortals are sucking midday dreams which torture the senses with monster delusions, he lives through the dream of life like one awake. And the most overwhelming event becomes to him a portion of the past and the future. And thus the poet is at once a teacher, a prophet, and the friend of gods and men. Mm, beautiful. Yeah, beautiful said. Yeah, the poets are our modern day shamans. Take us down into the unconscious, to the spirit world, and give medicine to the tribe. Spiritual, mental medicine. And and that is a quotation from Goethe. Oh, beautiful, beautiful. Wow, that's amazing. Well, this is a yeah, a lot of good gnosis, and uh, really appreciate everything. So, uh, f- if somebody wants to get more acquainted with a uh, good old Ludwig Kleges, where where do they go, Paul? Your book? Where else? Well, I'd like to think that my book is the best thing that's been written as an introduction, be- because it's the only introduction that's been written in in English. In English. Anyway. 
Um, uh, so, so Ludwig Clarkson, the philosophy of life, a vitalist toolkit is, is my attempt to help people up the Clarkesian ladder. Um, it's uh, um, an, an attempt to bring out some of the themes that we've been talking about today, and I'm pleased to have had the opportunity to do so. Um, uh, there is also a translation of uh, a, a beautiful text by Clarkes of Cosmogonic Eros, uh, which is published by Theon. Um, and you can also find uh, for free uh, the science of character on the internet as well. Wonderful. We'll check it out. Well, hopefully this is the beginning of uh, planting that seed and giving Clagus more uh, more publicity and uh, start uh, yeah start a movement. Uh, his ideas certainly are relevant and they are useful and helpful for today. So without a doubt. Uh, well, Paul, thank you very much for uh, coming on Aeon Byte and truly enjoyed our discussion. My pleasure, Miguel. It's been wonderful to talk to you. I, th I think we've watered the seed of Clargesian thought just a little bit, so it's been a pleasure to do so. Pleasure is all ours. And, yeah, for those uh, listening, thank you for being here. Audio version will be out. Uh, of course, this will be on YouTube and Rockfin and other places right after this. So uh, check it out. And, again, please support this venture. Support alternative broadcasters and podcasters out there so that figures like uh, Clegis can get out because that's sometimes the only way. So, anyway, uh I hope everybody enjoyed it and have a good weekend. And as I always say, write your own gospel, live your own myth, make your own aesthetic. Simple as that. Thank you, everybody. <laughs>